Guys, well, let's pray, and we'll get started. Well, Father, Father, I thank you for bringing us together once again, God. I pray for, God, everyone in our church who's sick, those with just the flu. We pray for the Reese's with the strep throat. And, God, I just pray for Brother John and pray that you will have mercy on him, God, and we pray that even today, God, you would comfort him and be with him in his bed. Father, we pray that you would be gracious to him in his, in his thoughts. May he be able to take every thought captive, Father, and that he would be able to trust you, Father, through um, suffering such as this, God. And we pray, God, for his, for his body. We pray that the doctor will will take care of him, that he'll get an MRI, that they will know exactly what the problem is, and that um, he will be put back onto his feet so that he can get back to work, as we know he's dying to do, Father. But we pray you'd help him to, uh, to not question, uh, Father, his predicament, God. We know that um, you have reasons for everything that you do, God, and it will bring you glory, and it will be for uh, John's good as well. So we just lift him up to you and pray mercy on his body. We ask that you'll bless this service today, Father. Help us to learn more about you, God, to uh, see the Apostle Paul, Father, in the book of Acts, and to desire to be more like him and to be faithful like him and to uh, lose our lives for your gospel as, as he uh, did. Father, we pray that we would feel the Apostle Paul's life, and, and, and even today we would put ourselves in his place, God, and, and try to think, uh, to be faithful as he was, and to think about how hard that would be, but um, to have the mindset that he did, to, to look towards heaven and not uh, to temporal things, God, that, that our lives might be spent for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, just to catch you guys up on where we've been, we've been going through the book of Acts. And uh, last week we were in Acts chapter 22, where in Acts chapter 22 what we looked at was the first two of five defenses that the Apostle Paul is going to give here at the end of his, at the end of his uh, ministry in the book of Acts. Uh, the Apostle Paul arrived back in Jerusalem after completing his, his third missionary journey. And as he arrived back in Jerusalem, uh, he was greeted there by uh, an angry mob of Jews who actually attempted uh, to, to beat him to death. And so that gave Paul the opportunity to speak to these who were, who were beating him. It gave him the opportunity to give his first defense of his, of his, of his ministry, of his gospel, and basically, as we saw last week, his, his first uh, defense to these Jews who were beating him was he basically just recalled his conversion story, his, the, his Damascus Road experience is what he recalled to them. And he did that just to, to show them the, the fact that um, the Apostle Paul was not seeking out Christianity. The Apostle Paul was not seeking out uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in fact, God overcame him as he was actually seeking to, to kill Christians. And so the Apostle Paul recalled all the events of how God himself took a hold of Paul and, and converted him and how he had actually been an eyewitness uh, to the risen Christ. And so 
Um, the Apostle Paul gave his first defense there to these Jews, and he made no headway with them. Um, there actually arose just a, another uh, disruption at his, at his trial, and so the Romans who, who had Paul in custody put him back into the barracks, and the next day they brought him out to give another defense. This time he was speaking before the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, so basically he was just getting a more formal uh, trial or hearing uh, the following day, uh, but this trial did not go well for the Apostle Paul either. His first statement, he got uh, beat in the face upon his first statement in this trial, so he could tell that the Jews were once again not trying to listen to what he was saying. And so as he was speaking to this uh, Sanhedrin, this Jewish council of leaders, does anybody remember uh, the move that the Apostle Paul pulled um, in order to get out from underneath this, this council meeting? Does anybody remember what he did? to get out of this, uh, this meeting and this, this hearing. He appealed to his Roman citizenship. He appealed to his Roman citizenship. Well, yeah, he does do that in several points. At this meeting with the Sanhedrin, because you got it last week. Got you, got you got it last week, actually, so I thought you were going to get it. Right. But uh, remember what he, he cried out? He said, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. Remember? Now, what did that cause? Why did Paul cry out? Why did he cry out the, the point that he was on trial for the resurrection? What did that do for him? That was the division between the Sadducees and Pharisees. Exactly. Yeah, that was the move that he pulled. Um, he saw that the crowd was divided, the, the Jewish uh, leadership. There was half of them in the crowd were Sadducees, half of them were Pharisees. So the Apostle Paul cried out, I'm on trial for the resurrection because he knew the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection and he knew that the <coughs> Pharisees did believe in a resurrection. And so when he cried that out, they, they basically started fighting amongst themselves and, the, and all of the attention was off of the Apostle Paul at that point and the crowd was just fighting amongst themselves about the resurrection and things like that. And so, you know, we just kind of noted how, how uh, uh, slick of a move that was by the Apostle Paul to do that. Um, so that brought us to Acts chapter 23, verse 11, is where we ended off last week. Um, I, I actually want to just read this verse again to start off today, um, being that Acts 23:11 is really going to uh, give us um, some insight. It's going to give us the reason for everything that happens from here on out in the book of Acts. It's going to tell us the reason that, that everything else from here on out transpires. So let's read Acts 23, verse 11. It says, But on the night immediately following, and so this is referencing the, that second defense that the Apostle Paul gave to the Sanhedrin. It says that the, the night immediately following this, the Lord stood at his side. The Apostle Paul's in prison, and the Lord came and stood at his side and said, Take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. And so the Apostle Paul actually has a visitation of the Lord Jesus himself where, where Jesus gives the Apostle Paul um, his, his goal, his mission. He actually gives him this promise that the Apostle Paul will witness um, to Christ's name in the, in the city of Rome, the city of Rome at that time was, was really the, the very center of all of the known world. And uh, it was the center of the, the Roman Empire, a very significant place to, to have 
Paul's gospel preached. And so basically from here on out, all we're going to get to see now is how God is orchestrating, how God's just in sovereign control over all of the instances in Paul's life that's going to get him to Rome. That's what we're going to see is how God's moving Paul to Rome. First thing we're going to see here is actually how God actually uses the sinful intentions of man to get Paul to Rome. We're going to see how God uses uh, these sinful uh, intentions of these Jews who were wanting to kill Paul. He's going to use their sinful desires to get the Apostle Paul to Rome. So let's just read verses 12 through 15 now and see how this all goes down. It says, When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. They, uh, there were more than 40 who formed this plot, and they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste, to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you and the council notify the commander to bring Paul down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near to the place. And so we see this plot, this plot being drawn out by the Jews um, that they're, they're telling the Roman commander who has the Apostle Paul um, in custody, uh, they, want, uh, they want him to be brought. We're not telling the, the Roman commander. Um, who are they speaking to here? Well, these Jews who formed the plot are speaking to the Sanhedrin, telling them to call the Apostle Paul for a more... Uh, careful hearing, and when, they, when the Roman commander brings Paul out of prison, then they'll, they'll slay him. That's the game plan. Um, but what we actually see in verses 16 and following is that somehow Paul's nephew, um, Paul's sister's son, hears of this plot that these Jews are trying to commit against the Apostle Paul. He hears about it, and he actually goes to Paul in prison um, where Paul sends um, his nephew to the Roman commander that, that's in charge of him, and, and Paul's nephew relays this information of this ambush to the Roman commander. And surprisingly enough, I thought it was surprising to me that the Roman commander actually uh, receives this information from Paul's nephew and actually acts on it. He actually takes all this into consideration, and, and, and because of this, the apostle Paul, as we'll see, gets moved closer and closer to his destination of Rome. Um, as, as, a, as an account of all this. So pick up in verse 22 here, where there it said, So the commander let the young man go, instructing him, Tell no one that you have notified me of these things. And then the commander called to him two of the centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. And they were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and to bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And so you see what I mean when I said how God uses the, the sinful plot of these Jews to get Paul moving? You know, Jesus promised Paul that you're going to preach my gospel in Rome. Now the Apostle, Apostle Paul has basically... Uh, uh, a Roman entourage of soldiers protecting him as he moves, you know, closer and closer to Rome. And, and the means by which God did this was these Jews who were attempting to kill the Apostle Paul. 
And so the Roman commander sends him out by night um, to the city of Caesarea. Caesarea is a city right on the coast, right on the coast where the Apostle Paul from there could, could uh, sail right out to uh, Rome. And so as Paul's now going to be sent to Caesarea, there he's going to stand and he's going to be under the control of the governor of Judea, whose name is Felix. Whose name is Felix. I wish Felix was here. I had a couple of jokes for him. But, um, but I just thought that, it, that it's interesting here that, that God uses the sinful actions of these, man, of these Jewish men to accomplish his, his will in this world. Um, can anybody think of any other examples in Scripture uh, that kind of illustrate how God does this, that God uses the sinfulness of man for his purposes, for good? All the Old Testament. The cross. All the Old Testament. Yeah, you guys are ready for that one, huh? So the cross. How did God use man's sin to accomplish uh, his desires for good in the cross? Just as Paul did, just as God did here with these Jews who were trying to kill Paul, um, it got Paul closer and closer to Rome like Jesus wanted. How about the cross? Where are you turning at, K-Dub, so we can all turn there? I'm trying to think of uh, what, what Peter said when, uh, I can't remember what chapter in Acts was. He oh, says it. Acts 2, right? Acts 2, yeah. Acts 2. He says it there. Let me, like, verse 23. Acts chapter 23. I mean, Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says, This man, speaking of Jesus, it says, He was delivered, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, Peter said to these Jews, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put them to death. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect example where God had a predestined plan that got carried out through the sinful actions of these Jews who wanted to crucify Jesus. So God's plan was carried out by uh, the sinful actions of men. See how God does that? He even uses this, our sin uh, for his purposes. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect example right there. I think so. Um, I think, at, you know, as we think about this truth right here, that, that sin in this world is not out of the control of, of God, that it's actually included in his decree, it's all under his will. Um, this is just a very important thing to grasp. I think every time uh, you see this in Scripture, you should stop and you should let that truth soak in. Because it's easy to forget it's easy to forget when evil happens to you and trouble comes your way and suffering comes your way. It's very easy to forget that all of these things um, are under God's sovereignty and are included in his decree, and it's not an accident. Right? So here's just another instance where Jesus Christ has told Paul, you're going to get to Rome, and the way that, he's, that Jesus is getting him there is by these Jews who are attempting to kill the Apostle Paul. Um, these are just some of those things that you have to get. Um, so, so when I say these are things you have to get, I mean specifically, number one, that God is sovereign over all things. You have to, you have to believe that because you're going to stumble at, when hard times come if you, don't, if you don't get that. God is sovereign over all things. And not only that, you don't only have to only believe that. Um, that may not be enough for you, but you also must believe at the same time that God is good. That God is good. That, that may be where some people may believe that God is sovereign, but is he good when, when these troubled times come? Uh, both of those things 
are important. You need to know that God is good because when evil times come, um, you need to actually believe that God has a greater purpose in them so that you, so that you can take every, ca- uh, every thought captive and you're not going to confuse yourself and be deceived about what's happening. Uh, maybe God doesn't love you or something like that. Um, you need to believe. Where, where does the scripture teach something to that effect that everything that happened is, is for, um, for our good and God's good? Ephesians, what, what else? I thought of one in particular, Romans 8.28, right? Anybody know that verse by memory? Anybody quote Romans 8.28? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? All things. All things. I mean, everyone should memorize that verse. Don't you hate it when the, when the preacher says, like, oh, you should all know this verse, and you don't know it. I hate when that happens. You know, but this is one of those verses that, I mean, not only do you need to memorize it, but you need to believe that. You need to be ready for, for trouble to come. Yes, sir? Well, I was just saying, you know, that's also part of what distinguishes us as believers from the world, that, you know, in the world, without Christ, without God, you really can't make sense out of your trials. You know, it's kind of like just one random act of of senseless evil in mm. your life after another one, you know, it has no purpose or rhyme or reason. Mm. You know, and it really is really a fatalistic way to live your life. You know, mm. I have students at college campuses all the time. These kids, they don't know why things are 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 like they are in this fallen world. They have no answer for it, mm-hmm. and they're mad. Ultimately, they're just mad at God because they can't put the dots together. Mm-hmm. So. That's very good. I mean, this is very foundational for what's going to hold you together in this life. Mm-hmm. You're going to go through storms. I mean, I mean, you're going to go through times where the storms are going to come. It's almost like Christianity is all about preparing for suffering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're, you're promised you're going to suffer. You're promised trials. But by the grace of God, you're also promised help. Mm-hmm. And, and the ability to cope, not psychologically, not with drugs, not with psychiatry, not with, you know, therapy. You're, you're promised that you can cope in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, cope in Christ. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's, for some of you who are familiar, like, with just the lingo of the, the prosperity gospel, that's why that teaching is so dangerous. Because yeah, it almost goes flies right in the face of the fact that God is sovereign over evil things and that he has an actual plan for your life that includes trouble. You know, the Bible speaks often, you know, the book of James, Peter, speaks of troubles come for a purpose. They come to, to strengthen your faith. These types of things, they don't, it's not an accident. It's actually God's love for you that he allows troubles to come into your life and to sanctify you. And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely... Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we just stopped there for a minute and we got to talk about that because, yeah, even here we see God using the sinful acts of these Jews for his purposes and for, for God's glory, even for Paul's good as well. Um, so going on here, so, at, yeah, as we were saying, now what's happening with the Apostle Paul is that the, this Roman commander is sending the Apostle Paul um, from Jerusalem to Caesarea. He, he's giving him this entourage and protection uh, to, to keep and to protect the Apostle Paul on this journey. But this Roman commander also sends with Paul in this entourage, he sends a letter. He sends a letter to Felix, the governor, 
that, that he's sending the Apostle Paul to. And, and Luke, the author, author of the book of Acts, actually includes for us the contents of this letter. And uh, let's, let's take a look at that. Um, it, it begins in verse 25. And, and as we start going through uh, the Apostle Paul situation here, more than one commentator noted uh, the great resemblance that the Apostle Paul situation uh, kind of mirrors the experience of, of Paul's Lord himself as he's being condemned by the Jews and being handed over to the Romans and, you know, this whole situation. You may even see it uh, better as we read the contents of this letter and just think back to how eerily similar this was to Jesus' own uh, situation. But, but as we said, both Jesus and Paul uh, were, were in these situations by the will of God. And so let's look here at verse 25 um, as, as, as uh, Paul gets passed on to Felix. It says, and he wrote a letter having this form, Claudius Lysias, that's the, that's the Roman commander that's sending Paul. It says, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. Very interesting there, right? He says, I mean, he admits that Apostle Paul hasn't done anything even worth imprisonment which is kind of ironic because he'll stay in prison. But verse 30 says, When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. Okay, so that's, that's basically the, the situation that this Roman commander found himself in as he's, as he's going to send the Apostle Paul off. And this really brings us now into chapter 24, um, where Paul's arriving at Caesarea with this letter. He's now under a new uh, a Roman authority. He's now under this man named Felix, the governor, who's a wicked governor at that, not as righteous as our Felix, but this Felix is, a, is an unrighteous Felix. And so now as he's under this Felix, this is actually going to be his third opportunity to give a defense of his, of his gospel and of his ministry and his calling. This is going to be the third, third of five that he's going to um, give a defense. And here under Felix, he's actually going to get what is probably the most formal trial, the most formal hearing um, of all, where here under this trial, the Apostle Paul will uh, represent himself in court. The Apostle Paul's never given a, a lawyer. The Apostle Paul's going to represent himself in this Roman court, and the Jews are actually going to bring in a, a star attorney to represent them. The, this star attorney they have named Tertullus. And so let's just read here the first four verses of this trial before Felix, the governor of Judea. And, and here we actually get Tertullus's opening statement. Chapter 24, verse 1, it says, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders, with an attorney named Tertullus. And they brought charges to the governor against Paul. And after Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, 
We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. Uh, but that I may not weary you any farther, I beg you grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. And so what we get from Tertullus is basically just a bunch of flattery. He spends really half of his, his, his recorded words here with just flattery. But what's, what's the most interesting thing about this flattery, that's not to be unexpected, I guess, but what's so interesting is just how patently false everything he's saying is. All he's doing is talking about how much the Jews appreciate the rulership of Felix and how great his reforms have been um, for them. But at this time period in Judea, there's been no such peace whatsoever. Um, nothing like this has been going on. There's been no beneficial reforms brought about by Felix. Um, Josephus, the Jewish historian, re records just countless, numerous amounts of crucifixions that Felix um, carried out, not only of those guilty of, of trying to start revolts against Rome, but also of many innocent, Josephus says. Um, Felix was known just for being a harsh ruler and to, and to, to be very willing to crucify um, even. This, these are some of the reasons because of rulers like Felix at this time period. This is why there were so many uh, revolts and uprisings of the Jews against the Romans. Uh, they didn't want to be, be under them. That's why the Jews were in such that mindset that the Messiah that they were looking for was that Messiah who was going to free them from the Romans. That's all they wanted. You know, somebody who would give them victory over the Romans. Um, but, and so, it, despite all these things that Tertullus is saying, in reality, Felix was, was a horrible governor of, over Judea. Um, as we'll see, actually, in the text later, he actually gets removed from office. He's such a bad, he gets removed by the Romans. Um, Emperor Nero actually removes him from office and replaces him. And... Uh, his rule is so oppressive that Simon Kistemacher actually attributes um, this, this final war, this Jewish war that breaks out between the Jews and the Romans, you know, in the late 60s and in 70 AD. He actually attributes uh, this to Felix and his oppression of, of the Jews. He gives a lot of that responsibility to this man, Felix. So I say all that to say that all, everything here that Tertullus is saying is just a flat-out lie. You know, he's, he's, he's lying. Um, to Felix and about all these accusations that he makes. Um, I, I think it's also just important to note that these accusations that he's making um, were very similar to the same thing as I said that Jesus experienced. Remember when they brought false witnesses before Jesus and just said all kinds of things about him and, and lies. We're very, very willing to lie in order to have um, the gospel suppressed. Man was, was very much willing to lie to do that. Um, so let's pick up verse 5 here to see what else he says. He says, For we have found this man, speaking about Paul, we found him to be a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And he even tried to desecrate the temple and then we arrested him. And so, brother, we're in Acts 24, verse 7 now. But, um, so now, as we see here, that, and we know that the real issue that the Jews had with Paul was, was a theological issue, was a religious issue. Um, 
it wasn't so much they were worried about him starting up uh, revolts against Rome. That really seems to be like what Tertullus is trying to emphasize here uh, with, with Felix, because that's what the Romans would be worried about, would be any type of uprising uh, that came underneath his, his watch. And so that really seems to be like what, what Tertullus is, is trying to paint Paul as, this troublemaker who's trying to orchestrate an uprising um, in Felix's land. Um, and, and so that's, that's how he presents the Apostle Paul. But here in verse 10, the Apostle Paul gets his opportunity to defend himself. And verse 10 says, When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, saying, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Since you can note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to the temple, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And neither in the temple, nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse, you, uh, accuse me. And so here, the Apostle Paul um, doesn't start off with flattery as Tertullus did. He, he's happy, he's cheerful that he gets to make his defense before Felix because Felix has been in office for a while and Felix isn't uh, new to the block and Felix knows that the things Paul is saying are factual and true. And so the truth is on Paul's side and the facts are on Paul's side and so he's, he's cheerful about that. Um, if you notice here in verse 14 how Paul basically sums up his ministry. He sums up his ministry as not being a sect or a cult of Judaism, uh, but in fact is nothing but the fulfillment and what is consistent with all of the prophets. Look at verse 14. Paul says, but this I admit to you. Paul will admit to, to one charge. He says that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And so see how Paul's gospel message, uh, God's, uh, Paul's gospel message that Jesus is the Christ is in accordance with everything written in the law, in the prophets, just a way of summarizing the whole, the whole Old Testament. Paul's, Paul's preaching nothing than the law and the prophets. That's Paul's ministry. And so Jesus is, in fact, he's saying the summation of all these things now, this designation, we've seen it one time already, uh, where they refer to uh, what we call Christianity. They call it the way. Does anybody know where maybe that designation comes from? Because that really seems to be the earliest designation for Christianity at this time. They call it the way. Mm -hmm. Maybe where, where do you think maybe that, that comes from? Jesus calls himself the way. Yeah. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, that text. What's that? John 14, 6. On the way to truth and life. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus also said, narrow is the way. You know, using this very same similar language. Um, so, yeah, that, that became known as the designation, the way. Um, so here, the Apostle Paul gives his defense uh, by pretty much appealing to the fact that there's no evidence whatsoever um, that he's trying to start a rebellion in, in Jerusalem 
or that he's attempted to desecrate the temple, the temple as they accused him of. And Felix, who knows enough about the truth of what Paul's saying, uh, basically ends up, ends up here, I don't know, chickening out, you could say, and not wanting to make a decision uh, with the Apostle Paul. Uh, notice verse 22 says, But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. So he basically stalls. He stalls in making a decision. Verse 23 says, Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet to have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. And so again, once again, really nothing's done with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul ends up remaining under Roman custody here. Uh, Felix likewise keeps Paul under, under custody so these Jews don't riot. You know, he didn't release him. Felix already admitted to not having anything against Paul. No reason to kill him, no reason to keep him in prison. He does that uh, just to keep, I think, these Jews from, from rioting. But, but we see that, the, that Felix gives the Apostle Paul some freedoms. His, 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 the brethren are able to actually come and, and minister to him. So now we have the Apostle Paul being kept under Felix, under arrest. And it's very interesting here, note how Luke goes on here to describe this ongoing conversation that happens between Governor Felix and the Apostle Paul. It's interesting. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla. So I guess Felix must have been out of town. He comes back. He arrives with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. And they sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And so now we have, uh, we're in chapter 24, verse 24. Now we have uh, just a, a little more intimate situation, a little more intimate setting between the Apostle Paul and Governor Felix and even his wife, where this discussion is going on. Um, but let's look here at the reaction, the reaction of Felix to, to Paul's teaching. Because Paul, it's gonna, Luke's going to list for us what Paul's teachings was as he talked about faith in Christ. And just think to yourself, do any of these subjects come up when you're talking about faith in Christ? Look at verse 25. It says, but as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened. And, and Felix said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. I think it's kind of funny sometimes how people react to the gospel. Um, some people can talk all day long about being good and being moral people, you know, but if, if sometimes as soon as you mention the name of Christ, as soon as you start talking about Jesus, sometimes that's a conversation stopper. Sometimes people, they're done. You know, other people, it seems like Felix here, Felix is willing to talk about Jesus, you know. Come, we'll talk about Jesus. But as soon as the Apostle Paul takes the conversation to righteousness, self-control, judgment, all of a sudden, they don't want to talk about Jesus anymore. That's not the Jesus they wanted to talk about, you know. Um, Felix here is probably feeling the heat um, of Paul's message on righteousness, self-control, and judgment uh, due to the fact that Felix, as, as we've already noted, that Felix was a wicked uh, man indeed, a wicked ruler. He actually would have the innocent crucified even. But um, 
Felix was here now on his third wife. Drusilla is his third wife. Drusilla here with Felix is on her third husband. You know, they're not examples of self-control. They're not examples of righteousness. And so as the Apostle Paul preaches the coming judgment, you know, that results from, from things such as immorality, uh, we see that, that they're, feeling the, they're feeling the weight of that, and, they, and, and Felix doesn't want to listen to that, to that kind of gospel preaching anymore. And so he asked the Apostle Paul to leave. Um, he's not in a state of repentance. He asked the, the Apostle Paul to leave. And so, you know, as I ask you to think about, do these subjects come up as you're talking about faith in Christ? You know, how's Paul talking about righteousness? How, what, what's he talking about self-control for? I thought he was supposed to be talking about Jesus. You know, um, I thought of maybe an application of how I've heard recently they, these exact subjects come up in the preaching of the gospel that's relevant to us because I remember, and I talked to Felix about this, that I remember when Joseph Urban, our missionary down in Mexico that, that you guys just got to visit, I remember when he came one night and we were preaching out at South Lake, and, and you know, we were preaching Jesus. And, and Joseph Urban was telling me um, what he likes to preach down there in Mexico. He says he preaches regeneration. The, region, the reason, not that he doesn't preach Christ, but he emphasizes regeneration um, because with regeneration is how people are able to live righteously. That's how people are able to live self-controlled lives. And the reason he preaches this is because Mexico down there, Mexico City, Guadalajara, is just full of Roman Catholicism. Nothing but dead religion. Religion that can't bring righteousness, that can't bring self-control. And so Joseph Urban preaches this, 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 this grace, almost like we looked at in Titus, this ability that God gives you to live self-controlled, righteous lives. You know, he preaches that as the good news, that God will give you the ability to overcome sin. And that was part of, you know, that, that was really interesting to hear, you know, that that's the focus of his preaching, is the, the grace of God that actually brings about righteousness and self-control, these types of things. Um, so getting back to Felix here, yeah, I want to see it, go ahead. Uh, uh, and I, was, I, I was just going to point out that uh, it's, it's pretty telling here that A, he is preaching about righteousness, self-control, and judgment mm-hmm. doesn't give him the good news because he's not even at a point of where he's wanting to ask, what must I do to escape this judgment right. in order for somebody to even appreciate that good news, they need to be brought to that place of where there is no hope, where, right. where instead of just looking at themselves, well, you know, now you're probably thinking in your mind, how am I going to fix this? Uh-huh. Instead of, I can't do anything to fix this, what's my out? Yeah, yeah there didn't seem to be any, any grace working in the heart of Felix, you know. I mean, I think Felix knew exactly what Paul's message was already. I mean, he came to preach faith in Christ Jesus, so he knew about Christ, knew about Jesus, but... You know, that, when the law hit Felix, it didn't bring him to repentance. Yeah. It made him want to run away from the message, which, you know, unfortunately for him, yeah, the grace wasn't, wasn't there for Felix. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've already noted how this man was a, was a wicked ruler over the, the people in Judea. Um, here's that reference that I, that I noted, how the emperor Nero actually removed Felix um, from power in Judea. Verse 27 is, is the... The evidence of this, it says, but after two years had passed, after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. <clears throat> and so now what we have here um, is another governor, this one named Festus, 
takes over for Felix as governor, and, and the result of this is that the Apostle Paul is now left in prison. It's been two years now. Remember what Felix said at the very beginning? Paul doesn't deserve death. Paul doesn't deserve imprisonment. Fear Felix, you know, keeps him in prison for two years. Um, and that's where Paul's been for two long years in prison. And remember what we talked about at the beginning, how Jesus had promised him, uh, Paul, you're going to preach the, the gospel in Rome. Well, two years later, he's sitting in prison in Caesarea. You know, but that doesn't stumble the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's faithful. You know, he knows that God has revealed his will to him in this way. And so the Apostle Paul's uh, able to sit in prison faithfully. And I thought for us, what we just need to take from this is that we need to realize the fact that sometimes um, God's working out his will in his time. And our call in that is to be faithful. So whatever your calling is, um, and it seems like, man, Lord, you're leaving me in this calling, in this, this place in life for a long time. Your call is to be faithful. You, know, you can think of whatever calling it is that you're, that you're struggling through. Um, you, could be, you could be in that struggle of, of trying to work with your kids and minister to your kids and, and discipline your kids. That can be a long uh, time of, uh, what do you call it, a, a long season of life. But God calls you to be faithful through that. You can, you can be in sickness, in pain, as, as several in our church are. And what does God call us to be is to be faithful in that calling. You know, you can have a tough time at work. You can have a tough job. Even through that, um, the Lord calls us to be faithful. Because, as I said, just like with Paul, the Lord's going to work out in his timing all of these things. You'll be able to look back one day and just see how God orchestrated sovereignly your, your life for your good. You'll look back one day. That's what the Apostle Paul did. I, I, I put in this verse right here that the Apostle Paul's last words in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is what the Apostle Paul said after he had been faithful. He had been faithful. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And the future is laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And so just as the Apostle Paul lived that faithful life with his calling, sitting in prison for years at a time, if need be, um, just as he imitated Christ in that way, so we can imitate the Apostle Paul and be faithful um, in whatever calling in life we have. So we have a few minutes. Let's, let's, let's jump into the chapter 25 here, um, where once again um, the Apostle Paul has another authority over him. He has another authority over him, and he's once again going to have to give a defense of himself and his ministry. This defense of his ministry and his gospel is going to be the fourth. The fourth uh, defense of his ministry that he's going to have to give. And, uh, and he's going to have to do this because even though years have passed, the Jews have not forgotten about the Apostle Paul. They haven't forgotten. Look at chapter 25, verse 1 through 3. It says, Festus then... This is the new governor, having arrived in the province, three days later went to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. These Jews are relentless. I mean, it's been years. 
You know, let Paul, let, can a man live? No, he can't. They, they hold grudges. Most certainly. They're even trying to ambush and kill him again. Um, they still have another plot set out for him. So what, what ends up happening here is Festus grants the Jews another hearing for Paul, but he's not going to hold it in Jerusalem as they requested. Um, he's going to hold this hearing in Caesarea, where he's now the ruler over. And uh, what happens is the Jews make a journey. The Jews are willing to make this journey to Caesarea to have this hearing and to accuse the Apostle Paul once again here with Festus. Uh, but here, I'm glad we got to this point, uh, because here we're going to see a very decisive move again by the Apostle Paul that's going to help get him to Rome, which was the goal that, that Jesus Christ gave him. Um, and here he's going to do that by appealing once again to the law of the land. Um, here, let's pick up uh, maybe in verse 11, because here... Um, Paul says this to Festus, it's already at the end of his defense, um, after Festus has asked Paul if he would be willing to stand uh, trial in Jerusalem, because that's what the Jews want him. They want him to come to Jerusalem and have trial. Uh, but, and Festus asked Paul if he would be willing to do that, but Paul says this in verse 11. Paul says, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Verse 12 says, Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Now this is very important um, in the timeline here of Paul's journey to Rome uh, because Paul makes this appeal to Caesar. This is just simply... Um, an aspect of Roman judicial law that was in place. It was, it was well known. The Apostle Paul was a Roman citizen. He obviously knew of uh, the, the, the judicial processes of the Romans. And it's, it's just simply an appeal to a higher court. The, the Romans had this law where if you were in danger of uh, in, a long imprisonment or death, something very serious, you could appeal to the next level of court, which for the Apostle Paul was Caesar. Was Caesar and and Caesar at this time, uh, over the Roman Empire, was a man by the name of Nero, Emperor Nero. And for those of you who may know something of Nero, if you may know of some of his future acts and future wickedness, um, you may ask yourselves, why in the world would the Apostle Paul appeal to Nero? If you know anything about Nero, well, I mean, there's a couple points to that. Is really at this time point, we're really looking about uh, probably about 60 A.D., about this, about this time, Nero really hadn't shown his bad side yet. Um, at, at this time, they actually considered Nero's Roman, overall his Roman rule, as almost like a golden age, actually. Everything was going really well. Nero wasn't really having to show his bad side at all. So Paul, at this time, wouldn't have had any reason to fear Nero at this time. Second, um, nothing could be worse than going and standing trial in Jerusalem, where there, obviously, the Jews would have all of the upper hand, would have all of the, the ability to pressure whoever's going to reside over that trial. The Apostle Paul did not want to go to Jerusalem. He appealed to Caesar. But last, and what I want us to recognize here, is, it's, it's last but certainly not least, is that Paul appeals to Caesar um, not because of who he is or because he, who he isn't, but because of where Caesar was located. 
Caesar is in Rome. Remember, and that's what, that's what Jesus had told the Apostle Paul, is that you, you're going to preach my gospel in Rome. And so here was the opportunity, the open door um, for the Apostle Paul um, to once again be escorted by the Romans to Rome where Jesus wanted him to go so that, that Paul, not only Paul, but his gospel could arrive into Rome as well. And uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 9 with Paul's conversion and Paul's calling by Jesus to himself, um, remember as, God, as Jesus sent Ananias to call the apostle Paul and to communicate some things to him, this is what Ananias told Paul, uh, or this is what Jesus was telling Ananias about Paul. He said, for he is my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And so we see the Apostle Paul just carrying out everything that, that he had been saved for. The reason he had been set apart from the womb was, was for this calling, uh, to be a witness to the sons of Israel, to the Gentiles, and to kings. And so the Apostle Paul is going to have the opportunity to do that as, as he gets sent to Rome here. Um, any questions? Our time is really up. Yes, sir. Not really a question, just more of a comment. I find it yeah. interesting that the only people who ever bring him before a Roman judge is a Jewish leader, never a Roman pagan. Right. So if he was, in fact, you know, causing an uproar or treason within the city, we would have thought they would have done it. Yeah, exactly. It never happened. Yeah, the Romans really actually wanted nothing to do with any of this. You know, I mean, they almost got dragged in because they had to. The Jews, you know, were under their authority. They didn't. They had to appease the Jews, but they didn't want to deal with some of these things. Yeah, the Apostle Paul was harmless as far as they were concerned. He was just some religious guy preaching some religious message, but to the Jews, he was preaching Jesus is the Messiah in direct opposition to everything it seemed like they believed. You know, So, this, so that's where we're at here in the timeline. The Apostle Paul from here on out is going to be making uh, that journey uh, to Rome. It's going to be quite a journey. I don't know how far we'll get next week. I think we may only have two or three weeks left. I never know until I actually start seeing what Luke's got for me, but um, maybe two or three weeks left, and, and that'll be it. But we're going to, yeah, Paul still has quite the adventure on his hands. Um, but let's pray, and we'll go to worship. Well, Father, I pray, God, that even um, through this, God, that um, if anything, we've once again seen the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul, the boldness of the Apostle Paul, Father, that we would um, imitate him, God, that we would be willing to lay down our lives, and Father, to be fearless um, as the Apostle Paul was in whatever circumstances came his way. Um, Father, we have a very similar calling to bear witness of your name, and Father, I pray that we would be willing um, in season and out to, to do just that, to to bear witness for your name no matter where your providence takes us in whatever situation we find ourselves. Father, we pray you'd give us um, the faith to do this and the boldness and the discernment and the words to say so that we can um, speak to everyone as we should. Uh, Father, we pray you would, you would guide all of our church in doing this in, in proclaiming Jesus and sharing, sharing the gospel. Father, I pray you would stir us up now, Father, to worship you in song and and in the hearing of your word, I pray that you would, would bless Pastor Emilio and, and, and fill him up now and, and just prepare him and to spill over into us everything that he's seen in your word this week. God, we pray that your church will be blessed. We pray for 
unity in what we hear, God. May um, we, we all amen together, God, what we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.